Welcome to Truth Matters Church. Connect with us at truthmatterschurch.org. Today we hear the last half of the message titled, Daniel's 70 Weeks Prophecy, specifically Gabriel's response to Daniel's question about the vision he had received. Understanding this vision will be extremely helpful as we exposit the book of Revelation. Be sure to listen to part one of this message to get the full context of today's lesson. We pick up in Daniel chapter 9. Here is Pastor Alex. So let's pick it up now in verse 20. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Here's the vision. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be war, desolations are determined, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, until, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So here, in response to Daniel's petition and prayer, the angel Gabriel brings to Daniel this 70 weeks prophecy. So let's begin to walk through this. As I mentioned, this is a very, very significant prophecy for it, is, it does encompass through the end times. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And here's what's fascinating. He says, while I was speaking and praying. And if you, it's pretty remarkable when you think that after the 70-year punishment under Babylonian rule has been completed, and Daniel acknowledges that and now is coming on all of Israel's behalf and repenting and confessing and repenting, as he was speaking and praying, Gabriel came. That tells you how eager and loving and willing and ready their God, our God, is ready to respond as soon as he was speaking and praying. 
he was, he was heard. And it says the man Gabriel appeared. And Gabriel is, uh, and if you were to read the Hebrew, he is described as a masculine male, like a man. He looked like a, a human man. And that's what the angel Gabriel looked like. He looked like a man. And it says that man, Gabriel, who came in the vision previously, and that vision previously is the ram and goat vision, which we recently covered. And it says, in my extreme weariness. So if you were to keep this in context, remember Daniel, he was praying and fasting at this time. Uh, So this extreme weariness is quite literally, he was out of strength. So not only was he in prayer on behalf of himself and his people Israel, he also was fasting and did not have food in him. So it was in that state that Gabriel came, and it said it was at around the time of the evening offering. And this, is, this would be about 3 or 4 p.m. And, and as a reminder, at this time, there was no temple there's no sacrifices going on there right now under the Medes and Persian rule. But it says at about the time of the evening offering, and what we can glean from just by looking at the book of Daniel, um, you may recall earlier in, in this book that Daniel, even though he was taken into captivity, he prayed three times a day. And if you recall the, the lion the lion's den account when the decree was issued that no one were to pray you know or to give homage to any other god or gods but in this case Darius the Mede and we know the story Daniel continued to pray it says with his window open towards Jerusalem three times a day when this prayer supplication was happening it would be towards the latter part of that day part of his three times that he would do that day as was consistent with his pattern. Now let's look at verse 22. It says, He, Gabriel, gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. And command here, uh, this verse verse 23 actually, is Debar, which is associated with a royal decree. So in verse 23, when it says, at the beginning of your supplications, the command, the Debar, which was um, a royal decree, was issued. And as we know, that would be Yahweh himself. Uh, So as soon as Daniel prayed, a royal decree was given, and the angel came in response to that royal decree to deliver the message to Daniel. So you can just say, Yahweh said, as soon as Daniel prayed, give Daniel this vision. The angel came in obedience to that and it says, as soon as you prayed, by royal decree, I'm here. Uh, and it says, highly esteemed, uh, describes Daniel, is Chamuda. And at least when I read this on the surface, it says, oh yeah, Daniel was highly esteemed because it even says there was no one like him and his three friends um, out of all the, the captives. So you would think that this highly esteemed is really describing just kind of Daniel being highly esteemed. But just know that um, the chamuda, it really means just something precious or valuable. And I say that to say, don't just limit how Daniel is viewed as highly esteemed because as believers, 
we too are highly esteemed by God. We too are Chamuda. We, we are precious and valuable. In fact, we are God's possession. So don't just, when you see highly esteemed and you're a believer, little old you, no, you're both valued in God's eyes. So it's characteristic of Daniel and all believers. Now to our main course. He says, give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. So now we're going to get into the 70 weeks prophecy. Verse 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now for this verse alone, we can spend one study. As you're going to see, we're going to, we're going to stay here quite a bit because a lot is packed in this single verse. Um, So we're going to walk through this one because we are now going to start to unpack this 70 weeks prophecy. So we'll look at 70 weeks alone, uh, but also in this verse it says, have been decreed is shatak. And when it says has been decreed, means it has been determined, it has been divided out. And it says for your people and your holy city. So if you're taking notes here, your people is all Israel, and your holy city is Jerusalem. It says to finish the transgression, and we've covered this in our past studies, especially in our studies of the ram and goat, but there will come an end to Israel's sin and rebellion. So it says to finish the transgression is when Israel's sin and rebellion against their God is complete. It says to make an end of sin, uh, and to make atonement for iniquity. So we'll look at that. To bring in everlasting righteousness, we'll look at that. To seal up vision and prophecy, we'll look at that. And then lastly, and to anoint the most holy place, and we'll look at that. We have to look at these kind of in pieces and then come back and put it together, and hopefully it'll uh, make more sense. And I do want to put a disclaimer here. We're going to start talking numbers. How many of us don't like numbers? I mean, I actually like math. I like numbers. I'm comfortable with numbers. But as I got older, not so much. But I'm going to, lo- I'm going to start losing some of you because I'm going to start saying numbers. Here's one. Multiplication. And I'm, I'm just saying this now, but just try to stay with me, and I'll try to also just consolidate it um, and not get too overbearing on that. So now let's look at 70 weeks, and let's look at, what that is. Well, 70 weeks is the Shibim Shabuah. Shibim in Hebrew, it's 70. And Shabuah describes a full seven day cycle in Hebrew. So after a full seven day cycle, that would be a Shabuah week, a full seven day cycle. So the Shibim Shabuah is 70 weeks, which is why we. Uh, it is rendered that way. Here's where it starts to get a little more technical, and just try to stay with me. 70 weeks means also in Hebrew 70 sevens, 70 sets of sevens. In this case, it's 70 sets of seven years. So 70 weeks is 70 times seven, not weeks or seven days, but actually years. So that would be 490 years. 
And here's what's pretty interesting about God. Do you know God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Do you know he's also consistent? So for example, he stayed with 70. So because for 70 years, for 70 Sabbath years, uh, or uh, 70 years that the land didn't have rest when it was supposed to, God says, okay, for those 70 years, I'm going to punish you for 70 years under Babylonian captivity. And now that that 70 years of Babylonian captivity is done, you know what, I'm going to stick with the 70, but it's not going to be just 70 years, it's 70 weeks, or in this case, 490 years. So he's taking the 70 and multiplying it by seven. So God through Jeremiah pronounced a 70 year judgment and God through Daniel pronounced a 490 year judgment to end their punishment. But here's what, when you see 70 weeks, this is what we need to just come away with. And I'm going to show a little timeline here. A really high, simple timeline. It's not anything extravagant. Out of all of human history, right? Or let's just see from history, from Daniel's point forward, God divided, carved out 490 years of that time to bring an end of their punishment. That's what this 70 weeks mean. It's 490 years of actual history. And at the completion of that, then the 70 weeks prophecy has been fulfilled. Here's a very, very simple timeline. Nothing extravagant. But let's just say this is a very simple timeline. Let's just say here it's from creation. And let's say from creation to Daniel. And Daniel, at the time he got this 70 weeks vision, it was at around 536 BC because that's when Darius the Mede rose to power. And this can be verified through historical sources. So ahead of Daniel... You'll see in here in this timeline, let's just say creation was at one end of the timeline. And right now I'm just putting the messianic kingdom. Just so you know, that's not the end of the timeline. There's actually a millennial reign after. But just for, this, for sim- uh, simplicity's sake, just know that ahead of Daniel, and I try to put this, let's just say these two markers, in between there, 490 years have been carved out by God to end Israel's sin to make atonement for them, and to bring in everlasting righteousness and Messiah's kingdom. Another way to say this, unless or until the 70 weeks prophecy is fulfilled, Christ will not come to establish his kingdom and rescue them. That's not going to happen yet until the 70 week prophecy of the 490 years have come to completion. So let's continue to look at this. It says to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity. An end of sin is taman chatath, and it means to complete or finish sin or a sin offering. And make atonement for iniquity is kafar awon, and it means to make propitiation of sin. Here's another, and I've said this another way in in other times and in other ways, but out of that 490 year time that has been carved out in history, part, you know, so once that is done, then God is going to atone. We got to get that. After this 490 year period has been satisfied, that's when Israel's sin and punishment and rebellion will end. And that's when the atonement will be made for them. And that's where Christ will bring in everlasting 
righteousness. And I know for, for many of us who aren't, you know, Messianic Christians, it's kind of hard because for those of us who are Christians now, we live by faith. Christ atoned for our sins by faith. So I know it's a little hard for us. Sometimes you're like, wait, he'll make atonement for their sin, but he made atonement on the cross. He did. But when it comes to Israel corporately, atonement hasn't made, been made for them yet. And that's going to happen at the conclusion of this 70-week prophecy or 490 years that has been carved and marked out of history. Then, corporately, Israel will be saved and atone for their, their sins. So that's kind of what we can glean from that. But let's, like I said, it's to bring in everlasting righteousness, to bring in means to come or arrive. Everlasting righteousness is olam sedek, and it means perpetual or unending justice and righteousness. So here's, here's, this, here's an, uh, another way to say this truth. When the 490 years of punishment has been completed, God is going to usher in an unending state of justice and righteousness. So this is the truth behind our Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Another way to say it is, thy will be done. Bring in, arrive, bring in everlasting righteousness where there will be an unending justice and unending righteousness. And here for, for you know, many of us, depending on kind of what you've been exposed or taught to, uh, taught, you might think like, okay, well, once Christ is on earth and he's here, we're in heaven and that's it. That, that's not the case at all. When Christ comes on earth, it'll be a new heavens and a new earth. It'll be a new era. And as we'll see, the earth got pretty messed up leading up to that time. Um, but there is this other period called this millennial reign, this thousand years in Revelation 20 that has to be accounted for before we get into the final final state. Uh, so, but when Christ comes after that 490 years of punishment has been completed, God at that time is going to usher in a perpetual unending state of justice and righteousness. And I'm sure if we're to kind of take a step back even now today, you know how many criminals are at large, how many crimes that have been committed that haven't been punished yet, and, you know, especially us here in the West, we don't have a perfect judicial system. Um, yeah, we might get some of them, but most of the criminals kind of get away or don't even face their day in court. That's the time and era that we live in now. But when Christ comes, there will be a perpetual, unending justice and righteousness. So that gives me hope, even though, let's say, all of humanity isn't redeemed yet that if there was a crime committed on earth at the time a Messiah is here, then some way, somehow, justice and righteousness will prevail during the time he's here. So I look forward to that because I think some of us, you know, we, we live in a, I think it's, it's no secret, no way to sugarcoat it, we live in a pretty dark world, a pretty uh, world that's full of evil. And as we know, you know, internet and things like that have really opened the floodgates. Um, but, you know, it's encouraging for me to know that despite how dark 
and, and it is out there and how much criminals are out there and, and murderers and, and those who just haven't faced their day in court that although they might be free now, they will have their day before Yahweh and, and his Messiah. So um, this, is, this is a pretty, pretty good uh, encouragement for us. Uh, but it also says to seal up vision and prophecy. Uh, to seal up is chatham. And a, a good way to think about um, to seal up, it describes affixing an impression on a clay document and it's sealed and its contents sealed. Uh, so when it says to seal up vision and prophecy, it depicts or it describes, so imagine a king with a royal signet, and we see this in the rule of the Medes and Persians, and we saw that even when you know, Daniel was put into the, into the lion's den, that the signet ring uh, made an impression that it can't be changed, and also with, uh, with his officials with them. So that's kind of the idea here. When it says to seal a vision and pro- uh, prophecy, it describes someone in authority uh, with his you know, royal decree sealing up this vision. And just to kind of give you a little clue. So the book of Daniel, it says to seal up vision and prophecy. So part of this 490 years, part of that is going to be sealed. But here's my question. Sealed to whom? Correct. To Israel. To seal up vision and prophecy to Israel until they repent, right? And that repentance and the end of their sin is not going to come until they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and that'll be towards the end. So this prophecy, even if, the, you know, if there was any in Israel now were to read this, this will completely go over their head. But, it's, but what, here's what's interesting. In Daniel, it says seal up vision and prophecy for this 490 years. But in Revelation, there was only one who was found worthy to break the seven seals and we know who that is and that was the lamb who was slain that was messiah himself so the timing and this is to say this and as we get to the book of revelation the this whole 490 years that has to be completed before messiah comes to atone for their sin and establish their kingdom there is it coincides with the breaking of the seven seals in the book of revelation so but the contents that are sealed is this very prophecy that we're studying and you know we're saying oh father can we take a peek on what was sealed up really concerning the people israel but you know if he in his mercy wants to reveal that to us that was that's what we're endeavoring to do as we're studying this book and prophecy uh, and, you know, this phrase, and to anoint the most holy place, here's, here's a phrase where if we don't look at the original, our minds can go and, and make a subjective interpretation. So let's, let's look at this one. To anoint is mashak, and it literally means to smear or anoint. Uh, and we know that, you know, Jesus Christ in Hebrew, his, his Hebrew name or title is Yeshua HaMashiach. And it really means, if you were to translate that more naturally in English, it's Joshua the Messiah or Joshua the Anointed One. And I've mentioned this in, in maybe, I don't know if necessarily in studies, but as I'm studying the Hebrew more, and you know, our, Jesus is what we're used to calling him here in the West, and just know that's because of the Latin 
influence in the Latin translation, uh, but a more natural, his more appropriate English equivalent from Yeshua is Joshua. We're not used to saying Joshua Christ. We're used to saying Jesus Christ, again, because of the Latin. And that's fine if you want to call him Jesus Christ, as long as you know that. We're not saved by the name J-E-S-U-S. We're, na- we're saved by the name or the Anoma authority given to the only begotten Son of God, whose earthly name was Yeshua from Nazareth. So just kind of a little interesting note here. To anoint means to smear, to point, and it, it often describes a religious ceremony. And so if you wanted to anoint something, a person, and we see that in the, in the priesthood of, of the Jews, right? If they were to anoint the high priest, there was a ceremony. So that, that high priest would be anointed for service in that office. But you can also anoint or set apart, you know, things or vessels for religious observation purposes. So that's what it means to anoint. It could mean it's, it's something that's set apart. It's either a person or it's either a thing. Um, but here's where there's some confusion. Because, you know, our, when we read to anoint the most holy place, we read, oh, holy place. That must mean the temple, an actual physical temple, because it says to anoint the most holy place. Well, most holy is Kadesh. And that means the sacredness, a holy thing, it could be a physical place, but it doesn't necessarily mean it is a building or a temple. I'm going to say that again. And to anoint the most holy place doesn't necessarily limit it to a physical building or a temple. And I'm going to show you one example in Scripture. And we're all familiar with the burning bush account in Exodus 3. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is the holy ground, is the Kadesh, is the most holy place. So here's my case in point. As we're studying Scripture, and especially when we're trying to figure out kind of how things are going to play out in that part of the world with respect to prophecy, don't assume that the most holy place means an actual physical building or temple. It could, but it's not limited to that. The Kadesh, the most holy place, can also be the ground by which God chose and sanctified for himself. So just kind of keep that in, you know, in, in the back of your mind as we continue to study end times. So now let me kind of put that together. And we're actually going to stop here, um, but we will... Uh, let's go to verse 24. This is a very, this is probably the most loosest translation, Kataroha Amplified translation that I'm putting before you. But because we just covered so much and there were so many different parts, here's my loose translation of it. Let me re- tell me if this helps. 490 years have been carved out of history for all Israel and Jerusalem. At the end of those 490 years, Israel's punishment for their sin and rebellion will be completed. Messiah will make full atonement for their sin, usher in Messiah's everlasting kingdom where there will be an unending state of justice and righteousness. Yahweh has decreed this vision and prophecy with his royal authority and will consecrate the most sacred 
place. That loose translation, you know, at least hopefully it makes it more clear, but I got that from the original. So instead of just going with what was set before us, I'm going to the original, and that's where we're at. So we will pick it up next time on the issuing of a decree. Okay, so at least kind of the takeaway here, are, are we clear that following the 70-year punishment of Babylonian captivity, God now gave Daniel, through the angel Gabriel, this 490 years prophecy. And I can't emphasize enough how significant that prophecy is because once those 70 weeks that have been carved out of history have been fulfilled, Messiah will make atonement for their sin and usher in everlasting righteousness. So we're going to start to look now, okay, when does the 490 years start? We're okay, it's a 490 years that are carved out in history ahead of Daniel. Okay, what's a, what are some starting points of this 490-year prophecy? And then what we're going to find is that 69 weeks has already been completed. So there is this 70th week that we are going to have to come to grips with and figure out, okay, where, is, where, does, that, where does that go from here? And Because once we know where the 70th week is, then we know that at the end of that, the full 490 is completed, and now Israel can be rescued, and Messiah can come and establish his kingdom. And evidently enough, the book of Revelation is in that period of time, or at least part of it, I, I guess you can say, at least minimally. So we'll start, we'll start to look at kind of how all these things come into play. And I know this is a lot, but it's going to frame us when we open the book of Revelation because it gives us the foundation that was given us to Daniel and it will allow the New Testament books, the book of Revelation, to fill in the blanks and to give us that progressive revelation. Amen? Thank you so much for listening today to the Truth Matters Church podcast. Well, we're near the conclusion of our mini-series studying Daniel's visions and prophecies, which are critical to correctly interpreting the book of Revelation. You won't want to miss the next two lessons as Pastor Alex unpacks the final 70th week of years, which marks the end of human history as we know it. And then we open up the book of Revelation, beginning with a solid foundation of Scripture to guide us into a deeper understanding of this amazing text. If you haven't already, please be sure to mark us as a favorite or subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Amazon, Google, and Sermon Audio. And as the Lord leads, you can also support this ministry with a financial gift of any amount. Our website is truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.